For as long as I've known the NBA, it's been a stars league. But even among the stars, there's an exclusive club. Russell, Dr. J, Jordan, Kobe. They're all part of a select group that paved the way for the NBA superstar of today. And some even shared secrets with each other along the way. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Jackie McMullen, and this is the Icons Club. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Folks, basketball is so tremendously, gloriously, spectacularly fantastic. My name is J. Kyle Mann. This is Upside High. And my co-host on Upside High is a brilliant man named Jonathan Charks. John Charks, how are you doing, my friend? Hey, it's the week of the NBA draft. I mean, that's pretty exciting. We've been talking about these guys for most of the year now. Finally, let's see what happens. I'm I'm pumped. Oh man, what a wonderful time. Throughout my life, were you were you like a diehard NBA draft fan? Like growing up, like what was your interest level in it growing up? I've never asked you about that, I think. Or did you just kind of gravitate to it when you started covering the NBA? No, I've always been into it because I was always a big college basketball fan. Like I feel like a lot of our colleagues are always NBA only, but I was always into the whole world of basketball. So I always follow college and then NBA obviously is somewhere in there. And so it's just a natural transition point. Right. You were subconsciously doing the Texas Longhorn thing there with your hand while, hey, while you were you making go. a point. He's, he's so Texas in his blood. No, I mean, throughout my life, totally. It was like, no matter what, I remember we were on like some family trip in like the early 2010s. Meg's family was like going out to dinner and I was like, I'm not going. I was like, I'm watching the draft. <laughs> Luckily, I had, enough, uh, I had enough currency that she didn't get mad at me for that. What was your first NBA draft take? What do you first remember? Like, oh, I think this is going to happen. Like, what do you, does anyone come to mind? When, you, when you're just watching it from afar, I think the whole conversation is like smarter than it's ever been. We have so much freaking data. I was, I was, I was laughing just last night thinking about like how, um, different like player development is now because I was I was just for fun filming my own jump shot to see how ugly it was <laughs> and I sent it to you and I, I was just laughing about that that's a digression but I had a few takes I remember like the those North Carolina teams uh this was when I was in college I remembered watching like the ones in like um 07 08 09 and I remembered thinking to myself I think Danny Green is probably the best pro on this team I swear to god I said that back then I was like I, I just loved Danny Green that one I got right um, th- whenever you have nothing on the line, I don't know, you kind of sharpen your process as you go. I had some really wild misses and just, I was all over the place. And I think as you kind of do this and you have your process, you go through, I, I feel like, uh, my takes are maybe a little less wild. I don't know. H- how have you seen your process change? Like, were you, were you pretty, did you have some wild hits or wild misses back when you were just kind of casually doing it? Oh, for sure. Because I was watching this at like 13. Like I remember, I wasn't going to go way back. Like, I remember when the Bulls drafted Tyson Chandler and Eddie Curry. 
And oh, I was yeah. just so excited. I'm like, two seven-footers, one's a post score, <laughs> one's so athletic. This is going to be it, man. I was just pumped. That was Jerry Krause's soundbite after the after the dra- that draft. He was like, this is going to be so cool, man. <laughs> no, I think when you're a kid, you, you get so excited about like the hypotheticals of it. Because I 100%, I loved college so much. And like I had no frame of reference or like process for like saying like this guy's going to stink or not. And I would just look at like, oh, man, Walter McCarty's going to be on the Knicks. He's going to be a star. Well, you know, that that didn't really happen. But I, I do definitely remember I had like a notebook and I would write down every pick and my little thoughts and things like that. So I guess I guess this was kind of destined to be my interest for a long time. Jason Tatum's another one. I remember I've joked with you about this. I like argued with you and Danny like on Twitter about Jason Tatum. They were comparing him to like Danny Granger. And I was like, oh, he's way better than Danny Granger. And uh, we said like a back and forth about that. Anyway, that was another one. Uh, So we are going to be talking about a wide range of things here as quickly as we can to kind of help you cram I will say, though, up front, we have talked ad nauseum about like the top three guys in this draft, so we're not going to do that on this pod. But if you go back in our feed and look, my thoughts really haven't changed since, I don't know, around January, I was pretty, January, February, I was pretty set. Would you say you were too with the top three? Yeah, I remember we did a big pod before the March Madness, where we both kind of agreed we had it the same in terms of Chet, Paolo, Jabari. But yeah, if you really want to get into that, we started doing like, re, we did this pod again, I think about three or four weeks ago. We got into those guys. We've done a pod on uh, Jaden Ivey and Shane Sharp. We did a pod last week on some of our favorite forwards. So that's all in the feed. And the site itself is going to have a ton of draft coverage over the next week besides our podcast, which we're recording this on a Monday. It'll come out on Wednesday. Uh, KOC has his you know ringer draft guide, his mock draft, his big board. That'll be updated through the week. I know Bill and Rosilla will have draft coverage. I mean, we're going to have a whole, everything you could possibly want for this draft we'll have for the next couple of days. Oh, yeah. It's going to be very, a lot of reactions, a lot of, a lot of takes, I'm sure. And that the most interesting thing that we're just kind of like waiting and, and to see if it happens is if, if the board starts changing, like if, if there starts to be trades. This pod is going to be, we're really going to be talking about the players themselves less than the, the, the moving chess pieces. Also, I want to plug to the things that you and I have written and done about the top three picks. And there's, you know, you've done something on Chet. I also did. There's a lot of stuff out there. Go check it all out. It's all in the Ringer Draft Guide. All that, all those old articles. Are there yes. If you want to look at those. Too. You'll be able to, that's a one-stop shop for a lot of that stuff. And this pod too, a lot of stuff on there for that. So I want to talk about a position in the NBA that gets talked about uh, constantly, overvalued, maybe. I don't know. I kind of feel like every year we come out of the out of the playoffs and we're like, well, every team needs more wings. It's just kind of one of those. Is there a team that doesn't need wings on planet Earth right now? So this wing group is, there's a lot of guys. There's a glut of guys. I don't know if I'd necessarily say that it's that it's deep per se, but there are a lot of interesting guys to talk about here. The first one that I want to talk about is a player who uh, was on the, that really talented Duke squad this past year, and that's A.J. Griffin. A.J. Griffin was really highly regarded throughout high school. Um, had a year here where he's kind of trying to, you know, move his his timeline back and pull the car back onto the road a little bit. And it's sort of similar to the Harry Giles thing. Would you agree with that? In terms of, he said some injury trouble. Yeah, so A.J. Griffin, son of Adrian Griffin, longtime NBA player. Adrian Griffin, actually, Nick Nurse's main assistant in Toronto. He's been up for a lot of head coaching jobs. So it's a classic basketball bloodlines player. He was highly, highly touted throughout high, his high school career. Seen as like a top five guy in his class. Then he had the COVID thing. COVID happens. I believe COVID was his junior year. He hurts his knee his senior year. Then he sprains his other knee the preseason before Duke's season. So he didn't even really get in the starting lineup until December because he was playing back an injury, kind of recovering from that. And what makes, I think, Griffin interesting and kind of you're kind of talking about how like everyone needs wings, but the top of the draft, there aren't a ton of wings like there usually are, mm-hmm. right? The top of the draft is a bunch of big men. Then you have like Jaden Ivey and there's Shaden Sharp who really no one knows what to do with based on his very limited track record. So there's not like the usual, oh, you're six, seven wing in the top five might not happen this year, but there's a huge glut of wings in the middle of the first round. And we'll get into it in the historically 
it's a very, very dangerous pool to be fishing in. Mm-hmm. Like the bust rate for that person is very, very high. So there's not like clear stars and there's a lot of risk. But every team needs wings. So these guys are all going to get drafted. But man, it's going to be very risky. And I think Griffin kind of sums it up. Because I've always been a big AJ Griffin guy. I really like his game. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is the guy. If there's one guy in this big pool of wings kind of projected to go somewhere between like 8 and 25, he's the one I've been kind of locked in in all season in terms of I think there's room to grow here. The first thing that Griffin got to talk about is the medical stuff, which he kind of already mentioned. It's the Because key. the one yeah. thing that jumps out on him when you watch him he doesn't have the same burst he did. If you go back to some of his like U16, his team US, his team USA stuff, he was just moving better in high school. Mm-hmm. So it just you just you don't know where he is medically. He sprained both his right and his left knee. And so that adds an even more complicating picture on top of everything else in terms of he's already got a very lengthy knee history. He's a very big wing, and that's probably the biggest selling point. He's like 6'6, 225. I mean, he looks like an Adonis, mm-hmm. built like a tank, super long arms, seven foot wingspan, which is great. But it's like, man, this guy's already breaking down physically in high school. Yeah, he's a, a case of when he like kept, he, when he checks into the game, if you were just like seeing him for the first time, if you were seeing him like walk onto the court, you'd be like, good Lord. Like he just he has like really big, strong shoulders. There are a lot of positives. The selling point on him is the fact that he was just an absolutely phenomenal shooter at the college level uh, in the different and, and in a variety of ways. Uh, you know, in spot up situations, he was uh, he shot 46.4% from three in transition, 45%. And coming off of screens, there was it was a smaller sample there. He only shot 10 of them, but he made six of the 10. His shot is kind of low and like it, it doesn't strike me as like a. I don't, he has kind of a wide base in the way that he stands too. Um, he, he's somebody that doesn't, uh, to your eye test, doesn't seem like a like a pure shooter. If we're talking about going forward, I guess this is what this is all about. I know that's going to translate. Like I feel pretty comfortable about that. The questions for him are: Is he capable of being more than that? You talked about his burst not quite being there. You talked about him, you know, it, obviously I noticed like his lateral agility was a little bit different from when he was younger. What do you think that the pain points are though for, for AJ? It, what, w- what would stop you from drafting him in the top five what, or in that five to 10 range other than the knee stuff? I mean, that, that to me is the big one. And I think what makes AJ interesting too is he's on this like nexus point of limited for as much as he did in college it's still a very limited sample size. And here's why. So Duke last year, absolutely stacked team. Like in terms of talent, this Duke team last year was as talented as say any of those Kentucky teams ever been. Starting lineup, you had Mark Williams, first round pick, Paolo, top three pick, AJ Griffin, lottery pick, Wendell Moore, late first round pick, Trevor Keels, possible late first round pick, six man, Jeremy Roach, like, five-star McDonald's All-American. Mm-hmm. And even they're like bench guys, like these guys who are disappointing, we're all like five-star top 40 recruits. So all that to say, like this is a classic college super team. And everyone but Paolo had to really sacrifice their usage and their role on this team to make it work. No one more so than AJ, where AJ was by far the best shooter of the bunch. Mm-hmm. And like they absolutely had to have AJ spread the floor for everyone else. Like he was really the only guy other teams really feared from the three point line. Where like Paolo, Wendell, Keels, streakier shooters, guys, you're like, okay, if they're open, they're open. We'll live with that. There's too much talent at Duke to like spread out. We got to protect the paint. There's just too many talented players. So what happens was is AJ's got to space the floor for everyone else, which means AJ can't have the ball in his hands very often. And that's where it gets interesting is because. He just didn't get a lot of chances at Duke, I don't think, in terms of what his skill set really was. Yeah, 16.9% usage, really low, but 63. Every time he touched the ball, something good happened, but it was typically in catch and shoot, like you said, or off screen. The question is what you're alluding to here is, if we're going to draft you draft you in the top you know, 5 to 10, A, are you going to be healthy, like we said? And B, for the wings in today's game... It's not enough to just purely be a spot-up guy because NBA defenses are so good. And I think this is going to speak to some of our philosophy and stuff like that. 
they're so good and connected and spread out over one and two and three and four actions within a possession that you need guys that can function to that level. You, If you can just catch and shoot, that's one action. I need you to be able to drive. I need you to be able to make a decision. The question for him is, can he do that? Now, we didn't, we just didn't see a ton of it. Um, I, I don't want to linger too long on this, but like his, his finishing and things like that, he can get into the lane. I didn't really love his left hand all that much. Um, I'm not hyper confident about him growing into like, uh, because I, he, he has lost some of that, like ability to beat people off the dribble. Um, are you confident about his upside as, as a, as somebody that could at least develop into someone that could make a decision off the catch or make a play in terms of decision-making? Yes. I think he's a really smart player. Yeah. And there's some really, some of the underlying numbers are pretty impressive. And this is kind of what I was getting into is like, okay, you've got a freshman used to dominating the ball, put into a very, very small role in college, asked to thrive without touching the ball, which is pretty difficult transition to make. Like the classic example of this is Cam Reddish. I would say Cam Reddish was put into the same role AJ was in two or three years ago at Duke. And he was horrendous. Like we can just say he was ghastly awful for most of the season. AJ was not. AJ was incredibly efficient in a smaller role. And this is something coaches always say. Like, and this I think is very true. Be a star in your role. Mm-hmm. I would say AJ was a superstar in his role. What that means is he did everything that was possibly asked of him at Duke in terms of offensively. He shot 55% from two, 45% from three, 79% from the line. He had a assist turnover ratio of two to one. So he made a lot of good decisions. Like the ball didn't stick in his hands. When he got the chance to attack off the dribble, he made good things happen. So it makes you wonder... If he was given the ball more often, what could he have done? This is where you're just projecting. You just don't know. I look at him like, I love the shot. I love the decision-making. I love the frame. I think he's a really smart player. I think he's fairly skilled, too. Like His handles are pretty good. He was like walking into step-back threes pretty consistently when he took those shots. Yeah. And I think this is a guy, if he had gotten a bigger role in college, he might have done a lot more with it. But we just won't know. And I, I call these guys, we'll get into this later a little bit too. I call it's like, well, you can't rule it out, right? Like to me, when I look at AJ's freshman year, if he had gone to say like, I don't know, NC State and been the number one option, what would he have done? He might've been awesome. You can't rule it out based on how great he was in a smaller role at Duke. And I think if you're drafting AJ high, that's the idea because maybe his burst doesn't get all the way back. But if you're a good enough handler, if you're a good enough shooter, if you have enough length, if you have enough decision-making, he might not have to be the plus-plus athlete he was two or three years ago to be a very high-level on-ball player in the NBA. Yeah. Now, let's say he does make a full recovery. Now we're talking about a guy, I think, if you go back three years ago, had as much talent in this entire class. Yeah, I think it's a it's a mind versus matter kind of a thing here because I agree with you. The, the situations I watched where he got into the lane, it was more an issue of he would get in trouble, like get himself into a crowd. And he it may be a question of over the long term, AJ evolves the way he plays a little bit. We were talking about him being more of a, you know, he was he would just sort of destroy you with, with, with his athleticism and, and his skill. He might be in the process of evolving the way that he plays, which might mean in a few years he might be more of a, a slower pace player who has the frame to put people in jail. He's got the biggest two things. He can handle the ball decently well, in my opinion. Not great, but and then the shooting. And if you have those two things, that's going to pave a lot of roads for you to evolve in other ways. If he can evolve into a guy who can you know, get in the lane and be a pace player and be physical and draw fouls and make shots in the middle. I feel good about it. Really, the injury thing is the thing that makes me the most nervous paying forward uh, and moving forward. Defensively, I think the foot speed has shown up a lot on defense, in my opinion. Like, that's somewhere that he's really fallen off. Um, I worry about that really quickly. How how are you defensively on him? Yeah, I mean, that that's where it's more the straight, how much was athletic ability come back to him? And that's yeah. just hard to know. We were saying he got hurt his preseason before the season started. And he really didn't start starting to like December till like Christmas. So you just wonder, will it come back? It's hard to know based on what happened. Obviously, it's a lot of it's medical. I was going back on Shade and Sharp. And then I, I saw the U16 gold medal game where Sharp's playing AJ Griffin. And it was like, for as good athlete as Shaden Sharp was, Griffin was by far the best athlete on the court, I thought. Or one of the top two. Just flying everywhere. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I don't know, obviously, if that's going to come back. I would say for me, I think I had Griffin at like six. He's the guy of the guys from like five to 13 I feel most confident about who I, I like the most this season is Griffin. But let's move over to a guy you really like in uh, Dyson Daniels. Yeah, I have Griffin at eight, by the way. Um, Dyson Daniels, for me, if, if you're not familiar with Dyson, this is uh, an Australian guy. He's on the G League Ignite team this year. Big guard, uh, true size at, in that like six seven, six eight range. He has sort of a connective playmaker feel to me. It's sort of a slower paced player, comfortable with the ball in his hands. I am a believer in Dyson Daniels. I, I was going to say there have been two people. We're going to talk about another one in a minute that have really risen for me recently, and one of them is Dyson, and and it's because I expect him to be somebody that is just a fluid. I was talking about like adding pieces that continue the flow, and like they don't need to dominate the ball to contribute things like that. He's not like an elite passer. But he's a pretty good passer for somebody. Like I expect him to be a secondary creator. Um, the question for him is the shooting. He's had sort of an erratic uh, life as a shooter to this point. Six, seven and a half, well built player. We saw him in at Christmas time at the G League showcase. He just looks comfortable out there a lot of the time. I think he's going to be able to make like basic reads off the catch, run some pick and roll. The question for him is uh, the shooting. He was an erratic shooter. He didn't really shoot the ball super well off of the dribble because his feet are kind of inconsistent. He has a lot of like lower body movement, which you see with younger guys. Uh, he was consistently kind of in that like 25 to like low 30s range as a shooter. Uh, I believe in the shooter, and that's kind of what, if you're willing to make a bet, that's what you're betting on with Dyson Daniels is, is he going to become a shooter? And I feel confident, confident about it because if I think if he can get his lower body consistent and replicable, uh, I think he's going to be a consistent shooter. What do you think about Dyson Daniels? Yeah, he's really interesting. Um, kind of going off what you were saying. So the Ignite team this year, the initial thought was that Jaden Hardy was going to be like the big star of the Ignite team. This is a guy who was supposed to be a top five pick, big time scorer. He was kind of pet, he was kind of billed as Jalen Green 2.0. And he really struggled this year. And also Scoot Henderson will be in next year's class. Dyson really elevated himself in the draft conversation. Number one, he grew, which is rare to see. I think he grew a solid almost two inches over the course of the season. He went from like 6'6 to 6'8. Mm -hmm. And then it's unusual too because he he like his stock rose without him being a big time scorer, which is very unusual, which I think speaks highly of him. You're kind of talking about connecting. He's just very smooth. That's what you, when you watch him play out there, it's a six seven six eight guard who really knows the game at a high level. He's got a great assist turnover ratio. Really solid defender. Just a very very smart player. And I think that's the idea of drafting Dyson Daniels. Is kind of as you were saying, connective. Like he's probably never going to be the primary option on your team, and you're probably not even drafting him to be that. You're drafting him to be okay. We can plug him out there. He can be a secondary ball handler. He can help the offense move. He can guard three positions. This is kind of that's the selling point. But I am a little concerned. It's not just a shot for me. Sometimes I watch Dyson. He kind of reminds me of Lonzo Ball in a way. He plays like Lonzo. Like young Lonzo, where it's like, you know, you have to score, right? Like you can't just not shoot. You have to threaten the defense. And like there were some times where it's like, I, I do love an unselfish guard, but sometimes it felt like he was being unselfish because he had no other options. Because he was like, well, I'm not going to shoot this, so I'd better find someone get open. <laughs> right. I, you could, that's not something you want to see. Definitely not. I, the Lonzo thing is interesting because I think if there's a team in that like 6 to 12 range, uh, I thought about moving him up as high as 5. Let's say you hypothetically have two perimeter scores that aren't natural facilitators. Daniels would be an incredible person to put between them. Like if you if you wanted to play a lineup with Dame and Simons and Dyson Daniels, he gives you a little bit of size. You he adds size. He adds connective playmaking. The thing about him being deferring, I don't know. That's hard to say. I, I've seen I've seen him show a pretty well rounded bag though in terms of like getting into the middle lane. He has kind of a funky middle game. I like Dyson Daniels. Let's move on. Another like riser for me. I kind of regret not pulling the trigger on like 
writing something about this guy a while back because I kept pulling up these like efficiency stats in the middle of the college basketball season. And I was, I've said this before, I always kind of try to go find, you know, things like try to find like little gems here and there, like, oh, this guy's not being talked about. And you, inevitably you come across, you're like, and you're looking at the stat and then who they are and their physical profile. And you'll be like, okay, well, that dude's like five nine in Juco. So anyway, but Jalen Williams is a guy who's like statistically popped a lot this year. And you're talking about growing. This is a guy who came into for Santa Clara, if anybody doesn't know. Um, I'm guarantee you they don't know anybody who doesn't know. You're laughing. The big West Coast basketball fans on this podcast. No, like he's WCC. gotten a lot of buzz. If you're following it, though, it's like not a secret anymore at all. Like he's he's a guy. He was a six six wing, seven two and a quarter wingspan with a thirty nine inch vertical. Playing for Santa Clara. Great shooter. I mean, he shot an incredible 53.3% on contested catch-and-shoot looks this year. But he's a guy that grew. Came into college, a three-star recruit out of uh, Arizona, and he uh, the state of Arizona, that is, and uh, grew. Yeah, so he grew to six foot six, uh, playing in a conference against, you know, not the best competition. Uh, but he's a guy that ex- exemplifies those things that we were talking about. Like, I don't want you to just be a shooter. I want you to be able to run some pick and roll. I want you to be able to, like, you know, shore up the flow of our offense when and when and if it's necessary. I like Jalen Williams. How do you feel about him? We talked about, so Santa Clara, and he's been maybe the biggest riser. Like, he was a guy I don't think was even on the draft boards to start of the season. Now he's pretty much seen as a consensus top 20 pick. And, yeah, what stands out to you right away is, Oh, like you peg him as you think three and D guy, but he basically ran point for Santa Clara for most of the year. And that's what you love to see, especially at a lower level. So in high school football in Texas, a lot of times, this will make, sorry, it's not a tangent. It'll make sense really quick. A lot of times in Texas high school football, the best athlete, they'll just stick him at quarterback. So we got to win some games. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of like, like TCU, for example, made a killing for years. They would always recruit quarterbacks and move them to defense. Because they're thinking at lower levels, the best athlete's going to play quarterback because the coach wants to win. And if that guy is smart enough to play quarterback and he's a really good athlete, well, he can play defense too eventually in, at the college football level. And in terms of like with lower mid-major guys, it's like, yeah, you don't want a mid-major role player. You want someone skilled enough to where his coach is like, forget this, just run point, make things happen. And that's what he did for Santa Clara. He had a game against Gonzaga. I think that's probably made his stock where he put shit on his butt. We should probably find this clip somewhere. Have you seen this clip? Yeah. Where Chet got switched on to him and he crossed him over and he made Chet fall down. <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, that's that's a, that's definitely a feather in your cap if you can make the number one overall pick fall on his butt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just like him because I, I think that he's going to give you some shooting versatility. It's similar to Dyson. It's sort of a funkier game. Like he gets in the middle and like he has those long arms. Um, but I expect him to be a good shooter. He's not like ultra quick. That's the one thing you could say no. about him. Uh, he, if he was, I mean, he'd be like a top five pick. If he, if he was that fast shooting like that with that that frame, he'd be. You know, there's always some caveat. You can't have it all, right? We can't all be John Charks. You're saying like similar to Dyson, but I feel like in a lot of ways he's the anti Dyson. Whereas, okay, if you're drafting Jalen Williams, you're draft you're drafting shooting and hoping he's athletic enough. Whereas you draft Dyson, is you're drafting size and speed and hoping he finds a jump shot somewhere. So it's more like, which of those two skills do you value more? Which of those can you most improve in the NBA level? Because that's the question with Jalen Williams, ultimately, is if he's not going to be a primary in the NBA, if he does have to play on the wing, can he defend enough? Is he big enough to get over? He's just not very quick. Like, like long story short, he's just not a very quick guy. The similarity that I was drawing there was more like the pace thing, the middle game. Like they, they're clever and crafty in how they, they get their shot off. He is more aggressive. I, that's the, that's kind of the, the difference between him and Dyson for sure. Uh, but I like his natural kind of playmaking instincts. I had him rising up to 10, actually. I, th- I think that he's a player that you could plug into. I, I sense him just kind of like uh, Jalen Williams- I don't know. Just so, some mockery in your voice, Chark. So you, are you not fully in on the Jalen Williams experience? Are you super worried? The mockery I was saying was you're like, I really wish I had written on this. And I'm just trying to imagine you pitching Varrier about writing a full feature <laughs> <laughs> on a guy from the West Coast Conference. Varrier's like, I like one on top five picks. <laughs> no, I mean, Jalen Williams is a good player. So like for me, I compare him a lot. I would compare him to like last year, middle of the first round, Moses Moody, Corey Kispert. They went like 14, 15. Yeah. And I put them all in the same kind of bucket 
where I'm like six six plus shooters, limited athletes. But I would say Jalen's got higher feel, showed more versatility in offense than either Moody or Kispert. Mm-hmm. I just not necessarily that's not the pool I'd want to be fishing from in the middle of the first round, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I think some of the, like, uh, before we move on, just like some of the the limitations would be like how quickly, if you're going to be like a pick and roll facilitator at that level, you'd either, you either need to be like a lightning quick guy that can like turn the corner and shoot quickly. He didn't really do that super well at the college level. That was one like weakness for him. He was only a 23% uh, three point shooter in the pick and roll, but he does get into the lane a lot. Um, good finisher at the rim, 71% at the rim. Anyway, uh, Jalen Williams is uh, somebody that I like quite a bit. That differentiator kind of conversation, I think, is important among wings because we go looking for them, and a lot of those players, will. you don't just draft any wing and, and expect to have success. They're differentiators. We're going to have more conversation about that, about guys that we believe in, that we're higher on than consensus, our sleeper picks, John and I are going to pitch them to each other as we move on here. But before we do that, we're going to take a break. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two for five dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. So the sleeper conversation every year is really fun for us. I feel like sleepers happen for a variety of reasons. One of my favorite ones to look for is like, People will just come off too quickly for a player who was good in high school. That That's always an obvious value play, and you'll see it happen. There's very few candidates for that this year. But we noticed in us, like, in our throwing our sleepers back and forth that there were some kind of common denominators that we're going to talk about. And it, it sort of exposes philosophy, you know? I think whenever you start talking about sleepers, it you know... Th- you can kind of look at the things that I, the guys that I pick, and you're like, well, Kyle likes those things, and John likes those things. Before we get to that, and I think that's going to kind of organically happen in this conversation, who is someone at the top of your, like, I am higher on this guy, I expect this guy to be good board? Who's who's number one for you there, or just a, a notable person? I don't even know, like, if this is that. One thing, like, for example, in the Big 12 this year at Kansas, I always kind of thought Christian Braun was better than Ochai Agbaji. And Agbaji's a guy getting lottery talk now. He was the final four most outstanding player. And I think this is where it gets tricky because you look at Agbaji, okay, 6'5", built, like got great looking frame. He looks like a great athlete, you know, thick guy, knockdown shooter at the college level. You see most of the mocks, you see Ochai, well, he's got a high floor. Like this is, not, this is a pretty safe pick. I don't think it's that safe a pick really. Because I was kind of looking at looking back over the last couple drafts. And this is just a really quick list from like 2017 to 2020. And here are like 6'4 to 6'6 six, six wings drafted in the teens and early 20s who busted. Just, I mean, a little early for the 2020 guys, but look at this list of guys. You got Troy Brown Jr., Josh Okoji, Chandler Hutchinson, 
Nicole Alexander-Walker, Romeo Lankford, Aaron Neesmith, my guy Josh Green, unfortunately, RJ Hampton. Like that's a long list of guys who went in the teens. What I mean, they were highly valued enough to be mid first round picks, and there's just not a lot of return there. Like this is a it's a well that seems it seems pretty safe to draft these guys, but not necessarily. That that six four to six six range. I mean, a lot more than bust than you would think. I don't think the jury's out for or Neesmith or I still kind of I've I've had Josh Green's stock. I never understood the Troy Brown pick at all. I, th- I think they passed on Robert Williams to pay to pick Troy Brown. Do you see any kind of a like common denominator there among those guys? What is it that we were seeing that we over projected or what 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 did we think was safe with those guys that ended up not being safe and what kept them off the floor? What What, what do you think was going on with those busts? If there is a common out. Everyone's his own little snowflake, right? It's obviously each one is different. But I do think there's a sense like if you're drafting an average size shooting guard, it's going to be harder for them to be plus defensive players, right? Like there's not many plus defensive wings who aren't like 6'7", 6'8", 6'9". Like you can still be a good defensive wing at 6'5", but you've got to kind of max out your like intelligence, your off-ball skills, because you can't just cover up guys. That's one. Mm-hmm. And two, it's like, okay, if they're not a plus defender. Are they going to be primary offensive guys? And if they're not, now your window to be a productive player in the NBA starts to shrink really fast, right? If you're not a plus defender, if the offense isn't going through you, it better be a knockdown shooter, which is always tough to project. Like it's harder than it would seem. Like our guy, Josh Green, for example, who I loved, just absolutely killed me in Dallas because he's totally forgotten how to shoot. Yeah, which I'm not quite even sure what what happened there, or even a guy like Nikhil Alexander Walker, where like he knows how to shoot, but he doesn't know when to shoot. And so it's like, okay, if you're a secondary offensive guy, not a plus defender, and you're not like a great decision maker, now it's like, man, it's pretty easy for your coach to just not play you, right? And that's what happened to like Langford and Neesmith in Boston. Well, we always say you got to get on the floor first, right? Like, you, if you can't get on the floor. It doesn't really matter how good you are. If your coach don't believe in you, if there's no obvious role for you in NBA rotation, because that's the other thing too, is a mid first round pick. You're going to a team with expectations, right? You're going to a team that made the playoffs or is trying to get into the playoff mix. It's not just going to be giving minutes to whoever. You're not going to a tanking team. You've got to be able to find a role. You're going to have to beat out most likely an NBA veteran who knows the league, knows personnel, who a veteran coach is going to believe in more anyways. So like, there's just a lot of steps you got to take to get on the floor. I guess to bring it back around, so like Agbaji versus Christian Brown Mm -hmm. in this draft. Agbaji's pretty being being mocked in the mid-teens. Christian Brown's being mocked in the 30s. Even though like when you watched them at Kansas, I thought it was pretty clear Brown had the higher feel for the game. They're about equal level shooters. Brown being a white guy is kind of gets the classic deceptively athletic tag. But he doesn't like his steal and block rates were any lower than Ocha. I think they're a little higher, actually. And what really stands out is Brown got half his shots at the rim, whereas Ochaelen got a third of his shots at the rim, which is telling you Brown is beating his man. He's getting all the way to the basket. He's not settling for shots. So more advanced handle. And then Brown's assist to turnover ratio is almost, he almost has twice as many assists, same number of turnovers. So he's making better decisions. And so, like, to me, it's a pretty clearly Brown's a better prospect, but you can get this guy 20, 30 spots later. And that's part of it, too. Like, if you're drafting a 6'5 to 6'6 wing, those guys are going to go from, like, 15 to 45, and there might not be a huge difference between them. You painted a, a pretty good picture there, a pretty thorough one there. I, like, the big thing that sticks out for me is the feel like you were like you were describing. Back to this again. I want to know that you can get on on and off the ball quickly and make good decisions. Agbaji just hasn't really grown in that area. Like like we were talking about him shooting the ball. He hasn't shot the ball super well in the pick and roll. I mean, fine, but as like a, a decision maker, um, his assist to usage is really low. It's like the lowest among the cluster of wings that that, that are near the top of this draft at 0.35. By comparison, Jalen Jalen Williams is is 0.91. So you, you just you're seeing someone that is like adding to the flow of the offense. And basically, I just want to know that you're a low. You can be productive as a low touch time player. And I think that you're you're right. Brown Christian Brown has proven that more. I don't know. He's he's six five ish. 
he seems like somebody that could project as like a, a solid perimeter defender at the next level. Um, I just worry about his offensive role being malleable, like at all. Like uh, that that concerns me because if he's going to need to be a primary on ball player who can't really do much other than just shoot the ball, like like he's pretty tunnel vision. We even saw it in I think it was in the title game. He can blitz you when he's shooting early clock. But I worry about him fitting into like the flow of an NBA offense consistently. When you're looking for sleepers, what are you looking for? I kind of like this thing about touch time because that's a good point in terms of you're not getting a lot of touches most likely being drafted in the mid-first round. Yeah, you need to be a start your role, like you said. Um, in terms of sleepers, guys that we believe in, I've talked to you about this guy throughout the year. Uh, Max Christie at Michigan State has always kind of struck me as someone who has the tools um, similar to AJ in a heavily off-ball role. He has the appearance to me, and it's similar to the Zaire thing, like where you would go and look at the analytics and be like, those are god-awful. Like if I'm just going by the the analytics, I'm not sure about that. When I watch him, I see somebody that in a better offensive situation with more spacing, um, I see him as like an athletic guy. I, I love the flu, his like athletic fluidity. That's something that I say. I think he's a pretty decent athlete. I think he's going to be his upside as a as a catch and shoot player is going to be pretty good. Max Christie, you you seem to kind of be with me on that at different points of the season when I would check in with you about it, though. Yeah, Christie, he's just one of those guys. He looks the part, but the production wasn't always there. Mm-hmm. But you definitely like you watch him move out there at six six. His jump once like his jump shot looks great. Like, it looks beautiful. Got very long arms. He moves pretty fluidly. And he, he was a guy I kind of, I was hoping would come back to school. Because you'd love to see the production match that and you'd feel more confident. But he just went ahead and went pro. That That's where you're just kind of like, you're hoping for the best, basically. Yeah. And you like box plus minus is a big like on ball creation heavy stat. <laughs> and among the among those uh, wings like we were talking about, his is 0.8. And just for comparison, like AJ Griffin's is like 7.5. So we're, just, we're talking about somebody that just wasn't very productive on the ball. Uh, but he's young. Um, like we said, he's a pretty good athlete. I, I believe in him. Who uh, do you have another sleeper? Yeah, guy I've really kind of got obsessed with late in this process. Uh, Josh Minot. I, as in, why not draft this guy from Memphis? Why not? Why not? He's an example of a guy where it's you, you're watching Memphis and they had Jalen Dern, Emily Bates. They had like four or five seniors who are at one point NBA draft conversations. And why not's like their third or fourth player off the bench. He barely plays. But we're like, wait a minute, this guy's six foot eight, six foot nine, and he's just flying over the court. He gets from the three point line. I was watching, I think it was the AAC championship game. And they run him off the three-point line, and it's just one two-step power dunk in the lane. Where it's like, how is a six foot eight guy doing that? Like, that's just very unusual for a guy as big. And that's something I think I really like to look for. Is like if I'm drafting sleepers, I want a guy with like crazy perimeter size. I want to gamble on a guy who's got chance to be special. And my not six foot eight, super fluid athlete who was pretty much buried all season at Memphis. And then this is a guy where we were talking about earlier about, okay, what would you did in your role? Well, in his role at Memphis, which is basically like play when you feel like playing you, he was incredibly productive. And that's one where you, you talk to the analytics guys in the league, and he was a guy a lot of them had flagged because they're always looking for guys who are great in per minute. Mm-hmm. Where like you look at the per game, it's like, well, I, it's like three or four points a game. Who even cares? But he's not playing very much. He's playing, he's, he's behind the bench, he's the third or fourth string option. And of course, you're drafting the ninth man on a team, it's always a risk. But per minute, he was incredibly productive. So then you have a guy who has got plus tools, I think he's got a pretty good f- touch. Feel has to be improved, but a 6'8 ball handler who is incredibly productive on a per minute basis with a plus athlete. Now that's a guy on a second round pick, it's like, well, why the heck not? He seems like Raptors-y to me. Like he seems seems like somebody that is, and it's amazing that it took us so long to move away from the per game stuff uh, and to move into a world where we were just looking at like, what are you doing when you're out there? Because all per game can really tell you in, in a lot of situations is just what kind of opportunity were you given. We we don't have time to like rattle through a ton more of these. Um, just quickly, everybody knows I've t- I've talked about not everybody, but people who followed our show. I love David Roddy. I'm still a believer in him. Um, I, I think that he gives a lot, a lot of broad things. The question is, will he be able to guard in space? The other Jalen Williams from Arkansas, big guy, strikes me as somebody like really high IQ 
value defender could fit into a good team quickly. I think that's something you see a lot with sleepers is like they get overlooked and then they fall into a situation like that quickly. Do you have a, another guy that you really believe in? Okay. Jalen Williams is really interesting in terms of a small ball, big man. Yeah. And I think we'll get into this really quick in a second. Talk about bigs. He's a guy you can get in the middle of second round. He kind of has a loonyish feel to me where he's a little undersized, but a really, really high IQ. Arkansas ran their offense through in the high post a lot. He found a lot of cutters. He took like a trillion charges. Yeah, which is that like, was, take, was, it, <laughs> take it or leave it, I suppose. But it does show, you know, he's willing to give his body up and that he's a pretty high IQ player. The guy I want to talk about really quickly is like John Butler at Florida State. Weirdo. In terms of weirdos, you know, we're talking about how Chet Holmgren's skinny. Imagine someone like much, much skinnier than Chet Holmgren. This guy is seven foot one, one seventy five. Like legitimately, he just looks like someone just like grabbed him in Photoshop and stretched it. Like he 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 just he's a really fascinating player. Yeah, but did you have a quick pitch on on John Butler? Yeah, f- Butler for sure. I mean, this is a guy maybe be a two way player, late second round pick. But man, I'm like super interested in the very very unusual body type, where it's like yeah, it might not work, but if it does work, it's like. It's going to be an impact. Like he's legitimately seven foot and he's legitimately a wing. He can shoot the ball really well. I mean, Flores had him guarding the ball a ton at Forest State this year. I think I watched a Duke game and he guarded like all five of Duke's prospects at different points mm-hmm. in the game because he's seven feet tall and he's moving his feet. He was not productive statistically at all. He's not super athletic either, but he's seven foot and he moves well enough. I would just say like John Butler, the NBA is a top 1% league. It's the 1% of the 1%. Mm -hmm. John Butler is a 1% physical guy where in summer league, people are going to be talking about this guy because they're going to be like, what the heck is a seven footer doing guarding the point guard? Like what's going on here? It doesn't even make sense. And he can do it. And like that enough to me is worth drafting. Where he goes is going to be really fascinating because by all accounts, he probably should have gone back to school. That was kind of the thing I heard from a lot of people was that like, just maybe come back and run it back one more time. Uh, but there may be, maybe he got some intel that he could get you know, pre-drafted, as we've talked about, that phrase that's become popular. His value is, uh, it kind of reminds me of the way that people talked about like Nick Claxton or you know, these bigger, like the Jaden McDaniels types where we're like, we know they're not like, tr- they're not like true anchors. This is, this is a good segue into the other side of the ball. There's not really like an offensive like center. I mean, other than Chet, obviously, but if you consider him like a true center, like a traditional center in this draft who was like the offensive side of the ball is like the pitch for their game. But we have a few defensive guys that are interesting. Um, and how you differentiate them opens up another conversation about a broader conversation about what can you get for, for what price in the free agency market? Should you even draft these types of guys high based on their upside, based on their outcomes? What do you see the pecking order outside of like the top guys that we've talked about, like the top three between Jalen Duran, a freshman at Memphis, Walker Kessler at Auburn, another big guy, big shot blocking, high impact shot blocking guy, and Mark Williams. These are the three guys. There's Christian Coloco is another guy from Arizona that could sneak in there. But I kind of feel like those three guys are in a little tier here. And where do you rank those three guys? Well, I think it's interesting and I think kind of fitting that like we're really having this conversation at the very, very tail end of the last pod we're doing. Because that's kind of <laughs> how like these traditional bigs are being valued now. Where it's like we hit the guards, we hit the wings, hit the forwards. Well, there's all these centers out here too. We should probably like, talk about it <laughs> for a couple of minutes. But the center position is really important, but I think I think that we've talked about this before. The I the most valuable players in the world to me at this point are the the guys that can. We talk about three level scores. True three level like rim deterrent players are super valuable. Do you think any of the three of these guys have that type of potential? As is the thing. Can any are we undervaluing them at all? Like, is it stupid to be tucking it at the end of the conversation like this? I think Jalen Duran to me is really, really interesting of all these guys. Uh, so Jalen Duran, he Memphis, he he was like the number one player in his class before Sharp. He reclassified, really young, spent all year as like a younger freshman at Memphis, and was he pretty solid. Like he had yeah. a really good year. He's like 6'10", 250, plus plus athlete. And I think what's interesting about Duran is I was kind of looking at him in comparison to DeAndre Ayton and James Wiseman. I'd say both similar size, similar athletic ability, 
and probably like not your prototypical modern center. Whereas like they're all trying to move to the perimeter, but they're also more comfortable in the paint or mid range. Aiden was number one pick in 2018. Wiseman was number two in 20, 2020. And now Dern's a guy getting mocked at like 15 some places in 2022. And it's like, has the traditional big fallen off that quickly? I think the reason that people are separating them out mainly is because he he offensively is so much more raw than them. When I'd heard that he was ranked where he was, I checked in and it was just kind of watching him. It may have been EYBL, I forget the game, or a high school game. I was just shocked at how raw offensively he is. Like, not a shooter, not he uh, he can be really clumsy with the ball. Whereas, like, Aiton and Wiseman, I think people got a little more allured by the they're just like basic offensive skill set. Like, Wiseman looked a lot better offensively in high school. He had moments where you were like, I could see him maybe shooting it someday, uh, some decent touch. Only as he's kind of gone up, has some of those things been revealed. But Aiton was on another level. It was just like, I could see this guy shooting. He has soft touch. He's good around the rim. Duran, though, I think is a more, is a twitchier athlete. Um, you were talking about his frame 6'11, 250 pounds, seven foot five and a quarter inch wings or uh, wingspan. He has sort of a BAM ish, like physical profile, uh, a Kong Wu, similar to that. Like, Someone who could guard, we're talking about guarding all three levels. He's the most likely candidate to do that, to me, in my opinion. Um, I would put Mark Williams second. I don't know. Are, are we undervaluing him? Is that enough to take him top 10? I think it is. The other factor here to talk about is the fact that he's younger than those two guys. If you compare them against like Mark Williams, if you like, and I think those are the two guys that are going to get compared. And we've overthought about it at this point, probably. But who do you take first? Do you value his like age thing? Do you think that offensively there's enough to come along? Because I don't really, aside from being like a vertical spacer, that's kind of what I, runner, jumper, dunker offensively is kind of what I expect Duran to be at the NBA level and a defensive force on the other end. I will say he's shown flashes where like we're teamed with zone Memphis and he'd make some good passes. I think there's some underlying feel there. I would put him pretty comfortably above Mark Williams. Cause I think what I'm, what I look at with seven footers is I for sure want a guy, you kind of talk about three levels. I want someone who can just guard out there. Like if I'm drafting a seven-footer high, you've just got to be able to switch. You look at these playoffs and these teams that advance, their bigs can all get out and just guard. Horford, Time Lord, yeah. Even Looney is not awful, yeah. I mean, Looney especially. Looney just switched all the time. Like, I'm just going to guard these guys, and they're not going to target me. What's what you need to have? And I think I value that even more, I think, than like pure rim protection. Like, I'll give up yeah. some rim protection for a guy who can really move out there. Whereas I look at Mark Williams as more of a traditional, great rim protector, freaking huge, very athletic, but I don't see him as a guy who's like very comfortable. I wouldn't want to switch him to him. He seems like a more of a drop big man. And that to me automatically lowers you a lot. Conversely, like if I'm drafting a seven four in a top 10, I want someone with ball skills. Like if you don't have ball skills, I feel like you're pretty replaceable. If you're just a guy who catches lobs, no matter how good you are at that, this is where it's like, I can draft Mitchell Robinson at 36, like Robert Williams with 25. Not that there's other stuff with those guys, their draft stock, but that's what I'd want to avoid. I don't want like, I think for me, you look back at the 2018 draft where you had like Wendell Carter, Mo Bamba going top 10. And it turned out like Time Lord was the better, better than those guys. And he went like 20 picks later. And I think that's what you always have to keep in mind too. Well, he's in a better situation too. What if, if those two dudes had played for Boston? Sure, but I, I would take time whatever those two comfortably, wouldn't you? Like if you're picking of the three? If Mitchell, I don't, it's hard to say if Mitchell Robinson had been playing with the Celtics for the last two years. Um, I mean, he's looked pretty freaking good. I mean, but I'm, I was also a big Time Lord fan. Time Lord is really good and he's got a high feel too. Yeah. I, you were talking about, I, I would, I would disagree a little bit on Williams. Like I, I think he's more switchable out in deep water than you would think. Uh, I, I think that Jalen's upside's higher on that front, but I also think that like Williams has shown a little more, a little broader offensive skill set. I think that uh, Walker Kessler is probably the most distinctly drop big of the three. Like he, yeah, you got to drop him. Um, but he's he in his own right. I could see him being 
a, a backup big. Do you think he, he could be starter level in the NBA? What do you think about Walker Kessler? I know he, he really he went to Auburn wanting to shoot the ball. He cannot do that, and I don't expect him to do. They that. let him shoot. <laughs> yeah, they they gave him the freedom, and he just didn't make it very often. Right. It was pretty. It was pretty abhorrent most of the time. Yeah, I, I still think the age thing is huge with Duran. I still think he's the most likely to become that type of defensive big. Um, in terms of the three-level thing. And that, to me, would put him at the front of those three. I pointed this out in our doc. Like, his ability to get to his high point quickly is pretty unbelievable, like how long his arms are. I mean, he's a great athlete, for sure. One thing I'm curious to, kind of, to tie back on our conversation last week. So, would you take Jalen Duran or Jeremy Sohan? Who would you have higher? That's a really good question. Man, I honestly think I might value Duran above Sohan, honestly, because the questions about Sohan offensively, you know, like at the bare minimum, if you take Duran, you're like, I know that he's going to be a finisher. We've seen some of the passing flashes. For Sohan on the other end of the floor, I'm like, I, you, it's a little more conditional about how I'm going to use him, you know? Like offensively, where am I going to put him? I don't know. Where, where, where are you on that? Where do you, where do you think that their value... That's a really interesting like ph- philosophical question, how you value those two guys specifically. Well, because like, yeah, the reason I'm asking that is I think the argument for Sohan ultimately, if you're drafting him high, is we're just going to play him at center. Like we're just going to be a small ball five we're going to be a smaller team that switches a lot. He's going to be giving up size and kind of like your Bam Looney molds. But what we get, lose in size, we're going to gain in like playmaking, facilitating, perimeter defense. And we'll be bigger on the perimeter to make up for lack of size down low. We're going to have a very versatile team. Like I was thinking about our Sohan conversation last week, and I, I wasn't as high as him on you, as you. But I, I think I wasn't thinking enough about him as just purely a five. I think that's the value in Sohan. And I think what's interesting about that, because you're kind of asking, oh, is Walker Kessler a starter? I feel like with centers, it's almost the reverse question. It's because like most teams in the regular season, you still want to start your big old oaf, right? Your guy who's going to like guard Joel Embiid, give you four fouls, protect the rim kind of guy. Yeah. But at the end of the game, you're going to downsize, play a smaller lineup. And it's like that starter, kind of like this, like the Zaza Pachulia role, basically. Yeah. Like there's always going to be a role for that kind of player. And that kind of player might be a quote unquote starter. But how valuable is that really? And like, even if you're someone who excels a traditional center, like, is, is your team going to be built around traditional center at the end of games? Unless that player is like Joel Embiid, I, I wonder if it's even worth it. Well, that's what we were taught. Yeah, that's what we were kind of alluding to last week when you were looking at the most successful defensive teams in the league. It's like you you gotta be able to play that style at the end of the game unless you have that behemoth. Are you are you saying that like the thinking for taking Sohan isn't that like full time we're gonna like do a, an ocean of reps of him at center, but the thinking is we're gonna take him knowing that we'll have this silo of of our defense ready to use at some point like the thinking is we're going to use him at the five but i don't know if i would want to do that full time at what point do you do you get penalized for doing that because baylor only did it out of necessity you know they were playing Joshua at, at the five for all the full time at the college level uh, until they did that or until they until he went down with that injury and then they kind of adjusted um, I just wonder about doing that full time. It seems like a fun thing to have up your sleeve, though, like if you wanted to go to it. Yeah, and I'm not sure either, but I think that's the argument for me. If I was going to take him top 10. He'd have to be pretty good at that, but go ahead. Yeah. The reverse of that is like, if I'm going to draft Jalen Duran top 10, is he good enough to where I'm going to be comfortable closing games with him at the five? Or am I going to want a more versatile lineup? And at that point, if he's not going to be like, if my the foundation of my team is not going to be closing games with Thurner at the five, do I need to spend a top 10 pick on him, right? Like, if I'm drafting a guy in the top 10, you better be closing games for me in a couple of years, right? That's like the, that's kind of like a bare minimum. And that's where, like, for me, I wonder a guy like Christian Coloco at Arizona. Like, I don't know that difference between Christian Coloco and Mark Williams is worth the 30 or 40 draft spots. Like, can I just draft a Christian Coloco in the 30s or 40s, play him 20 minutes as a center? Now that's fine. Like, is that just the better way to do it in terms of valuing these picks? I think Williams is a lot rangier and 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 uh, flexible and more vertically explosive. But uh, thinking about the Duran thing, though, man, it's like if you think back about like Bam's timeline 
what he showed offensively, like when he was younger, like no, showed no shooting. I mean, just like it was all hypothetical, but he did show that like elbow creator kind of stuff that you were talking about. Similar thing with Duran. And, you know, we looked back at the thing that kind of stopped Bam from being valued higher was some of, some of those limitations. And our thinking at the time, me, I'm, in, I'm admitting I was guilty of it, of seeing his limitations offensively and being like, I just don't, you know, I, if I'm going to use a top 10 pick. But those things are really, really valuable. It depends on the personnel around him. Okay, so hold on real quick. Yeah. Are you telling me you think Duran's got that kind of like point forward potential as Bam? Because if that's the case, it's a whole different kind of prospect. Well, what what does Bam do offensively that we just absolutely could not see Duran doing on any level? You know what I mean? It's not like he's doing a lot of like high, like low posts, like I'm going to score or I'm going to pass it. Bam offensively has some limitations. Like he, he has some things, he has some areas where he needs to grow. As finishers, I don't know that they're really that different. Physically, they're pretty similar. Well, I mean, I would say with Bam, five assists a game. Like Miami runs their offense through him. Tons of cutters. Even the Draymond role. But he's grown to that point, Okay, man. so you think Duran's got that kind of pro- that kind of potential? That's interesting. It's all situation, man. If you're running a, like a decentralized offense where it's like there's not a one one player who's like, here it comes, stop it, and then everything else responds to that. When I say decentralized, I just mean there's usage and stuff going on around the ball that is just as important. And Miami plays that way. Golden State plays that way. If you get a big out there that can like screen and catch lobs and cut, they become more valuable in that type of a setting. You know, uh, I guess that's just my point. It's an interesting thing, man. If I if I had an offense where I felt like I could play that way, if I could put movement around Duran and put him in a situation to like make passes like that, be a high screener. He's not a natural guy, like in that sense. Like he's not like a, a like a Demontis Sabonis level, like talented passer like that. But situation matters a lot, man. Matters a lot in the draft for sure. Bam's got handles too, also. Yeah, he does. But he's grown. You're you're looking at Bam at like twenty. How old is Bam now? I guess 20, that's fair. 23, 24. 24. You're looking at him now, and we're looking at that's a five year difference. So I'll it'll be uh, it'll be fascinating to see. So the draft, man. I'm excited. Anything else you wanted to hit on and like uh, any other players you wanted to pitch to me before we go? Or I think we covered a lot there. I was going to say, I feel like sometimes with the sleeper conversation, it just becomes an exercise in ego. It's like, <laughs> I did mention him one time. So in three or four years, if he's good, you can always go back and pound that one. So let's, th- let's get some ego shots off. Give me a name, Kyle. Like, okay, a guy you like that's not being talked about a lot that we can point to in three years and say, well, Kyle was right about him. Uh, I did have one guy that, like, I think this is a really funny one that I think could just show up in a game at some point, and we'd be like, "Dang, that guy can really play." What happened there? Iverson Molinar from Mississippi State, uh, a guy who could really okay. just score the ball. Like, uh, he's he's going to be in like that really competitive range of like six two, six three guys that can play. There are a lot of them, but he's just like a bucket getter. Like he he's just hung buckets on the whole SEC for the past past few years. He's an interesting one. Do you have one? That, and by the way, that's like a two-way player. Like that's a range. I just someday I could see him popping up in a game. Honestly, these are pure ego picks, so don't even don't feel bad okay, about no that. Okay, no more this explaining. Is, it's an hour no into the pod. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a guy I've kind of interested in all season. I think Scott something not like my favorite player, but making ego dart throws. Uh, Julian Champagny at St. John's. So his twin brother Justin played for the Raptors this year. I always love guys, the NBA brothers, my big bloodlines believer. He's 6'7, 220. And I think, like, if you look at, like, kind of create a player metric from, like, NBA 2K12, and we're, like, busting out three or four things, it's like Sean Penny's got size. He's a reliable shooter. He's been shooting high levels of threes for two or three years now. Great free throw shooter. Athletic enough, where it's like steal rate, block rate's pretty high, moves pretty well. And that's kind of like the Cam Johnson bucket for me, where not the most like complete player, but if you're that big, you've shot that well for that long, and you can clear a certain bar of athletic ability, I like your chances. And that's a guy, Sean Penny's probably not going to be drafted, maybe a late second round pick. That'd be a guy I'd be really interested in for a just a dive throw. Yep, I could see that happening. There, there are a lot of guys that it, it's a competitive thing. You know, there's only there's only so many spots to get in here. Um, there's there's some other people that we didn't talk about that I think their value's been pushed down, like the the whole Ty Ty Washington conversation about are we repeating history? 
Sharks, I really think we might be doing it again, like because he's a really skilled guy with the ball who can who's shown some playmaking and he can shoot off the bounce. Tight tight talk real quick because he's going to be a mid first round pick. He's kind of been totally forgotten about in this process. You're a Kentucky guy. I think that might be ridiculous. I think we might be doing it again. I, th- I think it, this might be like the the maxi thing where like he's very smart. He's a really smart player. There were a lot of like weird conditions on this team. He didn't play like point guard for a lot of the year. He played with Severe Wheeler, who dominated the ball, a non-shooting point guard. And this has happened with Cal players a lot. And then when they get into a situation where they had the ball in their hands, and we're like, oh, hey, this guy can shoot and dribble and pass, and he's pretty good. What the heck was Cal thinking? He just likes to have his physically dominant guy out there. I, I could, And he was hurt at the end of the year. He was really starting to pick up momentum. They had a road game at Alabama where he kind of went off. I don't know, man. I could I could see Ty Ty being like a top ten pick. Like I I don't I don't understand why somebody's gonna pick, somebody's gonna steal him. Like it, it it just it feels that way to me. So that that's my feeling on Ty Ty. And Wendell Moore is the other one that I feel like is a guy that could end up being one of the best wings of this group. I mean, as you're saying, Kentucky guards traditionally, especially Kentucky guards who are in primary roles in college, the level of outperformance in Kentucky guards in the mid first round is just preposterous. It is. Like the value Kentucky guards have given teams in the teens and 20s is super high. That does make you wonder about Ty Ty. Wendell Moore is an example of a guy you were talking about in terms of super highly valued coming into high college, really struggled at first, falls off the radar. He was young. And puts it back together. Very yeah. young when he came into college. But yeah, continue. Sorry. But yeah, we could literally, I was making fun of Kyle because we could be here for like three more hours just talking about guys. <laughs> you know, we did about, I think like four or five pods this, since I came back. There's a ton of guys we still haven't hit. Yeah. We love the draft. It's fascinating. Uh, go check out KOC's uh, mock draft and big board because he's got, he's got something for everyone. There's like there's a couple guys who are like lotto picks we didn't get a chance to talk about just because of timing, unfortunately. So we love the draft. It's going to be really exciting. We'll be back um, on Friday morning. We're recording a pod, I think, to kind of cover up everything. Yeah, we're going to be in the answer time slot. Yeah, Bill will be doing stuff live. Mismatch will have stuff. Priscilla will have stuff. I mean, this is kind of like the last big thing for the season. We're really pumped. It's going to be fun. And I just feel like sometimes the draft gets, because you get the finals, you have free agency, and draft happens really fast. And this is the stuff that makes or breaks teams. You get Tyrese Maxey at 23, and all of a sudden, like your whole window changes your Philadelphia. It gives you so many more options. And it's like, these decisions are so valuable. That's why we love talking about it. We love breaking it down. We're really excited for the draft. I think I won't be around the next couple of days, but if something breaks, I'm sure Kyle will be on it in one of the many pods we have. And so just stay tuned to the Ringer Network for everything NBA draft related. Oh, yes. And, and uh, there's going to be stuff on all fronts. And you're 100% right. Teams that that uh, can you know, squeeze soap out of the rag and get value like like the Grizzlies who have drafted really well. And they've turned into a, like a legitimate playoff team with, with, with real aspirations because of their ability to do that. Um, but... Yep, John, you're right. We've had to compress a lot of stuff. There's so much more we wanted to get to. And uh, guys, we will be back Friday, like he said, and uh, we'll be reacting to the draft. Uh, We're excited to do it, and I'm excited to talk about it, John. It was good to see you, buddy. As always. As always.